Oh, hi there. It's me, Kat. It's been a while since I've made an episode. Um, so I figured I would make an episode. But the funny thing about having a podcast during a pandemic, when it's locked down again after like eight, nine months of pandemic, is you don't really have that much news. Um, (laughs) all I've been doing is, um, while watching, I just watched an entire season of Murder, She Wrote, all 25 episodes in like five days. Um, so I'm, I'm really hot to trot on Jessica Fletcher right now. Um, I have been... Things have been weird, actually. Things have been pretty weird in my life. And I have had some health stuff. I've been in the hospital. I have to get a scope done to see if I have an ulcer because I had a gastric bypass in 2015. And I've been having some issues. So I have to go under... And it's sort of the, the, the fun kind of anesthesia, the twilight sedation, propofol kind of um, anesthesia. And, um, or as I like to call it, the Michael Jackson fun time drugs. So I have that coming up. I'm trying to find a new place to live. I am currently living with my now ex-girlfriend, um, who... I had been living with over the course of the pandemic, but I was still paying rent at my apartment across town. But of course I never went to that apartment. And, um, yeah, I finally moved in for real. I gave notice to my roommates and then I lost my mind completely, truly lost my mind. And, um, now we are broken up, but of course I am back here post-hospital stay. I spent a couple of weeks in um, some other places immediately after getting out of the hospital, and now I'm back here for prag- reasons of pragmatism and also um, because I'm trying to save up money so that I can move in with roommates again. So it's like not ideal, Um I wouldn't say it's horrible. Um, for one thing, she's a very good, genuine, kind person. So it's not like I'm here under duress or like, you know, like there's all this tension or weirdness. It's actually pretty chill, all things considered. But, you know, sad. it's a little sad. It's a little sad to be like, this used to be my childhood. This used to be, what, what is it? <laughs> This used to be my playground. This used to be my childhood dream. Um, When you are living in a house that was formerly what you thought was your home and now isn't your home anymore. So I'm kind of in that situation. But all told, you know, no harm, no foul. Um, You know, I was very ill. um, Had a bit of a mental break, as I like to call it. And... um, came out the other side okay I'm on new meds turns out I was on the wrong meds for 20 years so there's a little bit of frustration there 
Um, but I'm on new meds. The meds they have me on are temporary meds. I mean, I, oh my God, is this podcast just going to be me talking about meds for an hour? I, I cannot. Okay. Um, let's just say I'm on new meds. I, things are a little bit hazy because of the new meds. So if I repeat myself, you know, just treat this like a phone call with me where I repeat myself and don't listen to you talk at all. Because to be honest, this recording, this is saving me some phone calls. Um, I would ask how you're doing, but I don't care. That's not true. I do care. Um, but if you want to have an actual two way conversation with me, you're going to have to pick up the phone. I've been doing a lot of phone calls, a lot of phone calls because I'm so, I'm in this weird status stasis. I'm in this weird stasis of there's only so much that I can do functionally right now. And, um, my ability to focus or do a task is like pretty minimized by the the meds, meds chat 2021. Um, but I did want to finish talking about the meds actually. So the meds I'm on, I'm not going to stay on the meds I'm on. They're slowly taking me off of already to put me on other ones. So every week for the last seven weeks, I have been adjusted medically with, with my medication. (laughs) So actually eight weeks now. So, um, there has not been a single week where my medication has stayed the same for more than a week. So, um, I'm hoping that come the new year, this will be resolved in a way where I am now on meds and just stay on them and can actually adjust myself to the medication. Um, but it's been, yeah, it's been a fucking weird time. And, you know, part of the problem is, is that when I was going through my troubles, as I like to use as many, the crown, like euphemisms as possible, I'll call it the troubles. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I, you know, I don't have a full picture even of what happened still. And rebuilding and reconstructing what happened when you were not fully present in your own life is kind of scary and weird. Um, So I'm just sort of dealing with that and grappling with a lot of, you know, just the usual bad times feelings about having bad times. But I guess everyone's having bad times right now is kind of what I've gathered after I've, I've been averaging about 10 hours a week of phone calls And, um, that sounds like a lot, but it's like, I'm pretty limited in what else I'm able to do. And so mostly I've been spending my time watching Murder, She Wrote. I watched season one in five days and, uh, and knitting and drinking a lot of cups of tea because I'm not allowed to have coffee anymore. Um, and I don't know if tea, I mean, it's, it's like 50, 50, I'll have orange pico and then I'll have herbal tea. So I feel like tea is still a better choice, but because my stomach is fucked, um, like I should just, I guess, drink water. But I, if you know me at all, you know that I don't believe in drinking water. I'm not a fan of it. I don't enjoy it. Um, it's boring. So I've been drinking electrolyte powder, which is like powdered Gatorade. I've been drinking a lot of that. Um, but when you're off booze permanently 
and then you're told no more coffee and no more Diet Coke. Things get more limited, which is kind of the theme song of this November for me has just been things are limited. My options are limited. My output is very limited. And, you know, I'm just doing my best. I'm trying to quit smoking. It has been a process of cutting down slowly. Um, In the summer, late summer, early fall, I had cut down to just a couple of cigarettes a day. And then I went on the patch, which turns out was a very bad idea. Um, It made me go a little cuckoo. I mean, many things made me go cuckoo, but that was definitely a contributing factor. It was the nicotine supplementation. I was jeweling. I was also on the patch. You got to be careful with those jewels because each puff of a jewel, um, depending on the strength of the jewel, can be as much nicotine as a whole cigarette. And so if you're sitting there puffing on one of those fucking things all day you can actually give yourself nicotine toxicity pretty easily, which is like the same thing with caffeine, right? If you just drink black coffee all day. But like you have to be careful with uppers because they can spin you out a bit is what I'm learning. So what else is new? I mean, like knitting. I just started knitting again. Um, Aaron, my ex, um, started me off. I was trying to make this, this hat, but the problem with knitting, if you don't know about knitting, I'll tell you this is there's two type types of stitches. There's a knit stitch and a purl stitch. And the purl stitch is a little trickier because it's basically a backwards knit. And so when you're making something ribbed, something that's stretchy, um, like the base of a hat, you have to alternate the knitting and the purling. And then not only do you have to remember what the stitch you just did was and what the one you're about to do is, but when you flip it, when you turn this, the knitting to do the next side, you have to alternate it again. So you have to remember where you started. And anyway, you know, people make fun of old ladies for knitting all the time, but it's actually, if you've, got a a nana or a nanny or a granny or a nona or a mima or whatever else you call a grandma or a grandpa you know some grandpas knit um and they're still knitting and they're doing complex patterns just know that they're doing better than me because i cannot do a complex pattern to save my life right now and by complex i mean just alternating stitches I, I, I tried, I tried starting this hat about four times. And then finally, Aaron just started me off with just a straight knit pattern, just knitting a big scarf. And, um, that was perfect for me because I was able to do it because I just have to do the same thing, flip it and keep doing the same thing. Um, So I've made some progress and that's the thing that's nice about crafts like knitting is even if you only do two rows a day, you can see the difference. You can see the progress you've made. And um, for me, one of the problems that I think has always been a struggle for me is 
seeing the progress in anything is often very difficult because when I look at something, I never look at what's already been accomplished. I look at what's yet to be done. So I'm often at a loss because I'm looking at where I need to be or where I want to be and not how far I've already come. But, you know, Jessica Fletcher's taught me a lot this week. I've learned, you know, this woman in 25 episodes, that's 25 hours of television and I just started season two. And in 25 hours of television, she has solved well over 30 murders, you know? And she's a best-selling author. In the beginning of the series, she starts out having written a book that she didn't want anyone to read. And by the end of the first episode, she's a bestseller because her, her nephew submits the book for her because he's always got a new girlfriend and that one new girlfriend worked at a publishing company. And isn't that luck for Jessica? Because the thing about Jessica that's so interesting is she's, um, she's a very accomplished woman in her own right and she's very smart. And as a senior citizen, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't know how old she's supposed to be. They kind of keep it vague intentionally, but she's supposed to be an older woman and everyone always underestimates Jessica. Oh, I just, oh my God. I just pulled out a a chair to sit on it and there was a cat on it because um, there's a new cat here in town. His name is Bailey and he's a one-eyed Himalayan and he's a very cute. He lost his eye to a fisher cat incident somewhere in the most southern parts of southern Ontario. Um, So I guess I won't sit on that chair because he's occupying it. Um, But anyway, Jessica Fletcher is a great television character because she is always so confident in her knowledge of herself, her knowledge of the case, And she is a keen assessor of things, but everyone always underestimates her. And I think as a a character that was meant to appeal to everyone, she did. She appealed to pretty much everyone except for some people thought, oh, it's a boring old lady show. But the funny thing about the show is Jessica and her unshakable confidence in her own abilities is really the reason why she's able to achieve so much and to um, to solve so many crimes. Because, you know, she's had a gun pulled on her just in season one, probably 25 times. Like, it happens almost every single episode. Someone pulls a gun on her or someone threatens threatens to kill her or tries to scare her or intimidate her away from investigating any further. So she's had all these crazy adventures and the first season is supposed to take place over the course of several years because at the beginning of the show, she has one book published and, and by midway through the season, she's a bestseller many times over. So the first season takes place. It's got to be over a couple of years at, at maybe even more than that. Um, because she's she's a multi. By the time you get halfway through the first season, everyone knows who Jessica Fletcher is. Everyone's read one of her books on a, on a train or a plane or whatever. 
Um, but I'm really enjoying the show because as a child of the 80s, the, the theme music alone to Murder, She Wrote is so comf- comforting to me. I think as a child, when I was, you know, five or six, let's say, there must have been a show that my dad liked watching that was on either right, either before Murder, She Wrote or after Murder, She Wrote. Because whenever I hear that theme song, it trills in my head in this way that just I associate with good time, cozy TV watching before bed memories. But what show was it? I don't know. My dad was a big fan of Jake and the Fat Man, I want to say. <laughs> um, what other TV shows did he like? I mean, we definitely, I if I hear the MASH theme song in my head, I associate that with like being like, okay, it's bedtime. And that song was like sad and also very like, I don't know, misty. There was something about the MASH theme song that like when it started playing, you knew it was like bedtime and as a child, but as an adult, I'm sure it was more of a theme song to talk that, you know, the, the, the name of the theme song of MASH is called Suicide is Painless. And it sounds like this sweet, it almost comes across as a nostalgic song at first, but then it kind of becomes more sad. And, um, it's basically about like the, the idea I think of the song is, you know, war is, is hell, but it's also something you have to survive. Jessica Fletcher's own theme song for murder. She wrote is very upbeat orchestral sort of like, it's like, do, 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 do. It's very, it's like. Here we go. We're going on an adventure. We're going to collect the clues and solve the puzzle. And Jessica Fletcher's only going to be more powerful, more famous, and more revered as an author slash. Basically, she's like a guerrilla detective. She solves the crimes that the cops can't solve. The cops often come to her asking for her help with crimes. By the end of season one, people are reaching out to her saying, hey, we got this crime crime we can't solve. But also, a lot of the times, she just shows up somewhere and a murder takes place. And often, another murder takes place. You know, the average is, you know, somewhere between one and two murders take place per episode. And so often the first person who dies is the most miserable, awful human being. And that's how you know they're going to die from the top of the show. Once they establish the first few characters, you can always tell who's going to die because it's going to be the person that no one's going to be missing them. No audience member is going to be sad that this person died. And um, the person is going to be like everyone's going to be a suspect because everyone hated this person. Then, now sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes the person who died, you never even see them alive or you see them alive for about two minutes at the beginning of the episode. And then sometimes that person dies and it's a big whodunit because you're looking at the estate and who sets, who's going to inherit, who, bene- who would have benefited from their death. And like the, the mysteries themselves are often impossible for the viewer themselves to solve because the viewer doesn't have all the information 
you only get the information as Jessica gets the information. And the show doesn't even tell you all the information you need to solve the the crime until the very last minute when Jessica makes the big reveal. And they do that intentionally. So you have your suspicions as the viewer, but you can't actually solve anything without Jessica's extreme intellect because they'll show you a couple of clues but often those clues aren't things that anybody would be able to put any sense to except for Jessica Fletcher which is the point of the show that Jessica is this remarkable person who is very capable and able to find the answers she's looking for um, but the answers she's looking for aren't always what the detectives think so the cops will say well this guy got caught he has a a powder stain on his jacket that means he's the killer case closed and Jessica will say oh wait a minute detective let me tell you something and she will teach the cops a thing or two and that's why I like her so much because in the 80s there was this beautiful heyday of older women on television And it was something that you really hadn't seen enough of up until that point in television history. Older women characters were very pigeonholed. And then you had Jessica Fletcher, you had the Golden Girls, and you had a few others where you had these female characters who were over 50, who had full lives, and... It was a great strategy for making television because women in general are going to love to watch an older woman succeeding on TV. Even young women would love watching older women succeed and young men too, because the truth is, is that, you know, there might be a a gap of of a few years where a young man in his twenties, let's say up until who knows how old, isn't going to be interested in watching an older woman on television, but young kids love seeing older women on TV. Why? Because most of them have a nanny or a granny or a mima or whatever. And they're happy to see a character that reminds them of that person. Um, so when you had these shows like Golden Girls and, and Murder, She Wrote, you had these older women characters that were almost universally appealing. Now, there is a certain demographic of people, I'm sure, who think, oh, that's an old lady show. I'm not interested in that. I just want to see car chases and gunfights and, you know, westerns and things like that. But it really did change the the conversation in terms of what older characters on TV were able to do and the storylines they were able to get. Now, do I think that, that those changes carried through into the 90s I do not I don't think I think in the 90s we kind of went back a bit to older women characters who are just the grandmother who are one note one joke you know kind of characters and it was a bit sad because you know you can always throw a granny character on the tv who's a stereotype and she'll be there and she'll do a good job But like, I just think there was this beautiful heyday in the 80s where we suddenly got all these older women on television who are super capable and had real complex, rich lives that were like 
shown to us. Like, I mean, the characters on the Golden Girls, and like, I've also been going through the Golden Girls, but I've been like watching it less than um, Murder, She Wrote, because I don't want to run out of seasons of the Golden Girls. I, I feel like Golden Girls for me is like such a, dare I say, gold standard that like, I want to still have episodes of that to watch throughout however long this lockdown goes down for. Um, whereas with Murder, She Wrote, there's 25 episode seasons and there's like 12 seasons. So I'm like, yes, bring it on. Like I will watch every episode. It will take me 12 weeks <laughs> at the rate I'm going. Um, but, uh, you know, it was nice to watch shows like the Golden Girls. Cause the other thing about Murder, She Wrote is, um, there are other older female characters on the show, but because Jessica Fletcher is there, they 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 shook it up, you know. Sometimes the the characters she's interacting with are millionaires and they're fancy people, and sometimes it's like a tan- Texas ranch, and it's a bunch of young people, you know, who are trying to inherit this ranch, and then some of the older people who are the the next generation or whatever. So you have a nice mix of characters and storylines. Where I think with Golden Girls, you know, they had four main female characters all of whom had, you know, their basic backstory that everyone knew. You know, we know that Rose is a dum-dum and she grew up in the Midwest and she kind of grew up on a farm in St. Olaf and she's very naive. We know that Blanche is a Southern belle who is a bit of a, a fast woman, let's say, and um, is always bragging about how all of her exploits with men etc. So we know, and like, so each one of the the Golden Girls at different points, they have an episode where it'll be like, you know, Rose's daughter and granddaughter are coming to stay and there's a big secret um, that Rose has to reveal. Or, you know, um, you know, uh, Dorothy's ex comes to town and, you know, he's run into hard times. Like, there's all these great storylines like that where Blanche's, you know, um, grandson comes to town and he's a troubled youth. <laughs> um, and, and, and of course, Dorothy's the one to set him straight because she gives him a stern talking to. The thing I liked about Golden Girls is that they all had these complex histories and different storylines would come up for different episodes. And there's always like a fun there's always like a B plot that's just kind of a fun, funny thing. And then there's a main storyline, which is usually pretty serious and intense. And like, it's not fluff. Like it's not sitcom TV level, you know, as much as people wanted to blow off the Golden Girls and make it seem like, oh, it was just a silly sitcom. Like it wasn't silly. They tackled huge issues. They tackle things. And in both Murder, She Wrote and in... um Golden Girls, they tackle issues like, you know, people giving up children for adoption, abortion, um, sexual health. Like there's topics that come up that at the time were not the kind of topics you saw on mainstream television. And I mean, for both of these shows, if anything, they, they broke new ground in ways that, you know, yes, Was Murder, She Wrote ridiculous? Yes. 
did she solve fucking 400 mysteries a, a year or something crazy like that? If you actually crunch the numbers, it's like once a week she solves a murder. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense because it's TV. It's not real. Um, but I love the fact that Jessica Fletcher, despite having solved all of these different murders, <coughs> she never takes on errors. She never becomes the woman who shows up and is like, I've solved 500 cases and I'm here to solve yours. She never does that. She just watches. She observes. And then when she has her suspicions or when she notices something, she tells the authorities. And the funny thing about Jessica Fletcher is, I mean, we can get into this all we want to, but like, is Jessica Fletcher a cop? She's not a cop. But she also is very legal. She has an ethical code, which means she never agrees to not tell the cops something. She never agrees. If she has information about a crime, she tells the authorities, which I mean, do I agree with that politically nowadays? I don't know. Like maybe Jessica Fletcher's a cop and I should look down upon her for this. But the truth is, is based on the ethical framework that they have built for this character, she's deeply consistent. Even when it's a dear friend who's committed the crime, she never agrees not to tell the police. Because for her, she says, you know, we got to do this the right way. And so while I may not agree, I think in the case of most of the characters who get arrested in in, um, Jessica Fletcher's world, they are usually people who have done something very terrible in order to cover up another very terrible crime. And... Um, in Jessica Fletcher's world, I agree with her ethical code, which is that she, she defers to the police. Even when the police are idiots and she knows better than them, she still will always call and tell them. Which is why you never really worry at the end of the episode, about five minutes before the end of the episode, she usually gets a gun pulled on her. But you know that Jessica's already told the authorities. So she's not about to get shot. And you're never really that worried that Jessica's about to get shot. It's it's a moment of high tension, but the tension isn't, is Jessica going to die? Because Jessica has always set things up properly so that somebody else is going to be there. Either her friend who's a detective, uh, private detective, or the head of security at the fancy resort she's staying at. Or, you know, the cops themselves. Someone's there, so when she gets the gun pulled on her... It's really more of a denouement in her favor where she's the winner and the criminal has been, has received their comeuppance. Um, But she really does get a lot of guns drawn on her. And I think that's why she's so chill about it because it it happens like every episode almost. Um, Anyway, that's all my thoughts about Jessica Fletcher for now. I just think if you're going to spend... I mean, how long are we going to do this for? I guess the answer is we don't know. We didn't know last time around. And it was much scarier in March of last year when we went into lockdown. Because, for example, when we went into lockdown last time, we didn't even know what we didn't know. You know what I mean? Like, we were all putting on hand sanitizer and freaking out because we were like, we're going to get the the plague from touching the door. And the truth is, is like, they've now made it pretty clear They know enough about coronavirus that, you know, it comes from breathing in 
free respirated air from other people's lungs. So if you're wearing a mask and you're socially distant, et cetera, et cetera, you're not going to catch the coronavirus that way. It's really more if you go to a gathering of many people who you don't know who could have the coronavirus and no one's wearing masks, including yourself, that's where you're in danger. But there's people who are like weird denialists who have decided that everything's a hoax. And those are all the people who are going to get coronavirus and, and possibly get sick and die. Like, because as long as we all keep our heads about us, it's just going to be another period of boring lockdown. And I mean, I don't even know where you are or what it's like there. But in Ontario, we just went back down into full lockdown last week. And it's embarrassing because our numbers in the province of Ontario are not great. We had gotten the cases down to pretty low after the first lockdown. But then after reopening fun summertime, everybody go outside times, um, and the government, the provincial government, which is run by uh, an actual moron, um, they were more focused about um, businesses making money. And so they they eased everything so much that the numbers just went up and up and up and up. And it's it's pretty embarrassing because when you compare a country like Canada or a province like Ontario to other countries like Australia who've done a really good job with their lockdowns and kept their cases very low or gotten their cases back down to to you know a reasonable level the science was always there we just didn't follow it and um it's going to be difficult for a while um to go back into this lockdown not knowing how long it's going to last because it's boring and we can't even go to stores and you know the most of the stores are closed unless they're considered absolutely required or whatever like that and it sucks but it's like you know this is where we have to start being creative and come up with other things we can do and in my case I'm going to make some holiday slash New Year's cards. I'm going to send out some Christmas slash New Year's Eve cards um, because that's like a good activity that'll take up a lot of my time, just like sitting down, writing a bunch of cards out. Um, you know, I'm going to watch Jessica Fletcher seasons two through 12. Um, I'm going to knit, um, probably do a few other fun little crafts here and there. I, I, uh, the last thing I did before the lockdown came in down is I went to Dollarama and I got a little baby Christmas tree. And I just had this dream this year that I was going to have a Christmas tree covered in all iridescent decorations. And so I got some ribbons. I got some little ornaments. I got some rainbow, very gay rainbow, um, candy canes which look great but taste awful and um which is the best kind of decorating candy canes to be honest if they taste great you just eat them all and then you just have a tree with no candy canes on it um but I made my little iridescent I got some light little twinkle lights on it and it makes me happy and even though this isn't my home anymore and you know I have this little tiny Christmas tree in the guest room where I'm staying you know it's it's nice and it's cheerful. It's nice to have something that reminds me that, you know, I don't really 
practice, you know, the traditional Christmas holiday traditions in any way. But like there are some that just bring me comfort because they remind me of my childhood and having a little Christmas tree is one of them. So I'm glad I I did that because I spent about 20 bucks to get all the decorations and it looks great and it makes me happy. It cheers me up every single day. Um, I'm probably going to have to get more creative and think of more other things I can do with my time. Um, you know, the thing is, is it's hard to do. I mean, I'm not working right now. I'm furloughed and, um, you know, there's not much in the way of volunteering right now. Um, because obviously it's a lockdown. I, uh, have been attending at the local United church. I did a, um, a volunteer. I ran a brunch. They do a monthly brunch or a monthly lunch where they feed up to about 40 people in the community. And, uh, I, I ran the one in October and I did a really good job. I knocked it out of the park. I, I got a bunch of donations from local businesses because we weren't able to cook in the church kitchen due to the coronavirus restrictions. And everybody who ate at that lunch was thrilled and said it was a great lunch. They enjoyed it very much. And I did a great job. And that was a nice thing to do, you know, even in October when, I mean, it wasn't full lockdown again, but now that we're back in lockdown, I'm like, how can I spend my time in a way that's productive, that is helpful to other people, that puts some kind of positive energy out into the world? And the truth is, I'm not really sure, but I think, you know, given, you know, that I've done some community work with the church I'll probably stay in touch with them and see if there's, you know, some seniors who need somebody to pop pop by and say hello. Obviously, you can't go into somebody's home, but maybe if you wear a mask, you could have a little chat with them and drop off a loaf of bread. I don't know. I'm, I'm not floundering exactly. I just, it's easy to look at the unstretched time ahead of us with no work and no purpose and start to feel like a little intimidated or like overwhelmed by the nothingness of it all. But I guess the difference is if you find things to do, even if they're minor, you know, like there's things that people do every day that help other people. Like, you know, some people knit baby blankets for babies in the hospital or whatever. Like, I don't know, like there's, there's always something. And I guess my real question to you is what are you going to do and how are you going to spend this lockdown winter? Um, if you live somewhere where there's no restrictions, I hope to goodness you're still wearing your mask and, um, you're being reasonable and safe and smart, especially if you're around people who you don't know if they could have coronavirus or not because that's the thing that worries me the most it's not so much to think oh my god everyone's going to get sick and die but the people who have gotten the virus um that I've heard about a lot of them have had long lasting immune issues well after the initial case of coronavirus is resolved they're still having symptoms and they're still having issues so um, just be safe and be smart out there. And if anything, you know, come up with a long list of things you want to do or things you want to get done 
that are home-based, home-bound <laughs> type projects. Because the truth is, yeah, maybe after another six weeks of staring at the out the window, you will finally get around to doing that home renovation project or whatever. And maybe, you know, after six weeks of sitting around doing nothing, I will finally start writing a novel or... <laughs> Whatever else the things that I don't ever do that I later regret not doing are. Um, I've had a lot of good chats with a lot of people that, including some people that I hadn't really been caught up to date with in a while. And so one thing I recommend to everybody is just pick up the phone. And even if you call someone and leave a message, at least they know that you're thinking about them. Because there's a lot of people who live by themselves and they may seem fine on the outside, but like, you know, it's lonely. And when you're stuck indoors for the winter again, like if you live somewhere warm and nice, maybe you're not thinking about it in these same terms. But like, if you've got a, you know, an an old Aunt Jessica Fletcher <laughs> somewhere up in uh, the northern reaches of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, give her a call. <laughs> Say hello, see how she's doing and see if she will send me some of her baked goods in the mail. Because personally, that's all I want is just like, I just want people to send me delicious treats. Is that unfair? Is that an unfair thing to ask you to do to ask your aunt to send me treats? I mean, it's selfish. It's a little selfish, but like, it's like not unreasonable, is it? Anyway, you know, have boundaries. It's your aunt. If you don't want her to send me treats, then don't ask her. But if you ask her and she does it, you can't be jealous of me when I'm eating a delicious, you know, rock cake loaf or whatever the fuck people make in Upper Michigan. I think the one thing that we all have to look to is during these horrible times of isolation and... um you know, just like boredom and waiting is, is we've got each other. We've got the opportunity to look around at our neighbors and our, you know, our colleagues, our neighbors, our friends, our, you know, in my case, you know, my fellow performers, we're all going crazy because we can't perform anything. And I haven't performed since May, the first week of March, um, 2020 and now here we are in end 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 of November and we're not any closer for live comedy coming back again anytime soon so I have to start looking at I've been working on my internet chat show I have one episode recorded and I'm going to start making more but I I need to have a little bit more wherewithal because the tech side of it is is a bit much for me so in the meantime you know Maybe I put out a podcast episode here and there. And when I'm ready to get my chat show up and running, I will relaunch it and, you know, people can watch it at their leisure on YouTube or they can watch it live. The live part is hard for me. All the Zooms and Twitches and all this stuff, it just like, I, it took me a while to even get my, all my equipment upgraded to the point where I could use all of the software, but like, it's just, it's convoluted, right? It's a little convoluted. So 
I've been trying to get a recovery group, a queer recovery group going. And um, by recovery, um, I mean in the classic sense, you know, you have different types of recovery, right? You have alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous, you have Narcotics Anonymous, you have Codependence Anonymous. All the ones that are traditionally called anonymous type groups are all recovery groups. And the group that I was trying to start, or I have started, is one for queer people who are in recovery from absolutely anything at all. The idea is that being queer isn't something we need to recover from, but as queers, we need to recover. We all have things we need to recover from together. So um, it was meant to be an in-person group. And after doing a lot of wrangling and organizing and getting people on the same page, I had my first meeting set for the Friday before lockdown started. So of course we ended up canceling it because it was an outdoor meeting. But um, I knew that you know, uh, the place we were meeting at and everything, we weren't going to be able to go forward once the lockdown started. So we've moved the group to an online format and running it as an online format is a little bit more trickier. Um, but we're trying our best to rally together and, um, you know, take comfort in the fact that just because we're all locked up tight doesn't necessarily mean we need to succumb to, whatever our respective demons are. Um, People who are in recovery often go to meetings. Sometimes they'll go to meetings when they're newly in recovery. They'll go five days a week if they have to. Um, So it's the type of thing for me, having quit drinking in early 2017, I'm long ways out from being newly fresh into recovery and I definitely did miss having a group and a, a support group that I could go to. So I decided to start my own because the types of groups that I've ended up in, they're often substance specific. And um, I don't think that's super useful. I also don't think that the anonymous, the blank anonymous format is ideal for queer people, especially Um uh, often just the requ- the required step of b- belief in a higher power um, throws people off because a lot of queers have had a really rough time with the church. And I don't think you need any kind of belief in a creator in order to recover. I think all you need to believe in is yourself. And, um, and, You do need to believe in something outside of yourself, but it doesn't have to be a God. Um, So I'm going to keep plugging away at that. And, you know, it's, it's the type of thing where, you know, I'm not exactly marketing it because it's not, you know, I'm not promoting a project, but people will find the group. And um, I think all the different participants will use it as they see fit. It's too bad that we can't do in-person meetings, but, you know, it's too bad that a lot of things aren't going to take place this year. So we're just doing our best, and I hope you're doing your best. I'm doing my best. Um, I'm going to go eat some lunch now, so thank you for joining me for a rambling 47 and 36 seconds of me talking about Jessica Fletcher and uh, recovery work. But um, I hope you're doing well. Thanks for listening. And uh, 
I'll be back again soon. All right. Bye-bye.